How many of you love the spring forward? How many of you love springing forward with a lot of rain? It just kind of adds to it, doesn't it? It's just a different feel. But you know what we do, right? We count it all joy when we meet various trials. And that could be a really bad trial, or it could just be we lost an hour of sleep, and you can't do whatever it is you wanted to do today outside because it's raining. So we count it a joy. We fight for joy, and we fight for joy together. And so grateful to God that we get to be gathered together, grateful to God that we get to sing songs like we sang today together. I'm grateful to God for the fellowship that we get to experience and just being able to see one another face to face in contexts like this every week. And one of the things is we were taking communion, and this kind of has to do with our message, because um, we're going to talk about false teachers, false teaching, and just the importance of the gospel. Um, just aware of just how kind God is to us to be able to gather in a context like this every week and just be reminded of the good news about Jesus Christ in every aspect of the things that we do, whether it's the songs that we're singing or just the fact that God would be so kind to give us the sacrament of taking the Lord's Supper together where um, we can be off doing all these other things in the world being tempted by the world, being distracted by the world, or things that just really don't matter, but giving ourselves to those things. And then we get to come together on a Sunday, and and we get to sing songs that just lead us into thanking Jesus for dying for us. And then we get to hold up a little cracker and this little cup that's got some juice in it, and just again be reminded that this is the absolutely most important thing in our lives. And God has so loved us that he crushed his son to pay the penalty for all of our sins so that we would be forgiven. And his blood was poured out, just emptied, so that God's wrath would be exhausted that we would be forgiven, and that we'd be able to fight for joy when we lose an hour of sleep, and it rains. And so God is kind to us, and it does matter. I'll bring that somehow into our message, but just very grateful, grateful to be here, grateful to be in God's Word. So let me just pray, and then we'll hop in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather like this, and we ask that in all that we do, you would be glorified. Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and you would eliminate distractions as we jump into your word and that you would feed us with your word. You would protect us by this word as you warn us to not be deceived, as you prepare us to live in these last days as we wait for Christ to return or that we would live in such a way aware that, Lord, there are false teachers out there. There are things in this world that would like to derail our faith. There are things in this world that want our attention. But, Lord, may you use a word like this 
to serve us through a warning and to prepare us, Lord, really just to to live our lives for you and for your glory each and every day. Trusting in Jesus, looking to Christ, allowing the gospel to really color the way we look at everything in this world. (coughs) In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I first got saved, uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I know a lot of you have heard my testimony at various points, but I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I didn't grow up learning things from the Bible, I got saved around the age of 19, and then I went off to college, and there was just a lot of things were brand new to me. I hadn't read through the Bible. I I think I had a Bible um, and sort of kind of read it, but I didn't didn't really understand it. But anyways, so when I genuinely got saved, I went off to Central Michigan University, and uh, I was just aware that there were a lot of opportunities out there as a believer on this campus. And I remember one of my prayers when I first got saved was just that the Lord would give me wisdom and that he would guide me and he would just lead me so that I would understand and know what was true. And so I didn't have a lot of guidance around me. I was just sort of saved and went off to college and uh, had some college friends that all of a sudden were believers as well. And I came from a town where I didn't really have friends that were believers. I didn't grow up around a ton of believers. And so now I'm on this college campus and I'm just aware of there's, there's so many opportunities and they're so different from one another. And so I had opportunities and, and I'm going to share some of these. I don't know that any of you might even not even know some of these things, but anybody familiar with cleansing stream? Okay, so a few of you were. So I, I immediately got involved in that because that's what my friends around me were involved in. And there was just something going on on a college campus all the time to be involved in. And so just jumped into that and had no idea really what that was about, just that my Christian friends were going to that. And I thought maybe that would be a good idea. And then there was all these campus ministries, probably like KSU and most of the campuses now. There was just tons of them. And then when you walked on campus, it seemed like you had all those people were handing things out to you and they were inviting you to everything. And it's like you got 10 of these invite cards and it's which one do you go to? How do you know which one you should go to? So there was InterVarsity and Chi Alpha and FCA. And then there were these guys with these microphones and these speakers that would be in the middle of campus. I'm sure they do this today still, right, Kyle? Yeah, I'm just, you just look at me. That's why I'm going to call on you every, every time. So anyways, guys with microphones who were shouting things out, telling people they were going to hell because they listened to the music that I grew up listening to. And then there were other guys with a microphone who would just stand there. These were my friends. One of my good friends would do this just every week. He would get the microphone, and he would just stand there and read through a book of the Bible. And he wouldn't even say anything else. He would just be in the middle of campus reading. And then I had a bunch of these guy friends who just loved the Lord and... They just wanted to follow Jesus, and so they would have these Bible studies, and they would do these things, and they'd invite me to it. And, and I just remember, look, well, now as I look back, I just think, there was things that I would do with them just because they were my friends, and we'd go through these books, and they kind of like force certain things on me, like this is just what you do. If you're a believer, you've got to do accountability, and you've got to have somebody asking you these questions, and you've got to read this way. And then, promise keepers kind of a big deal when I was in college. And so I was in there and my friends were like, hey, let's go to this. And so 
I went to it. Million Man March in D.C. and standing in the way back, can't even see really anything, not even knowing what I was there, starving because a bunch of college guys decide to go do this without any money and just sort of a 48-hour trip. You go there and you come back on a bus and it was sweaty and stinky. And I just look back and say, what in the world was I doing? And then I had a friend who was an actual devil worshiper who had gotten saved. And he had all the tattoos to prove it. And he was scary. But he was my friend. And I'm not saying he got saved. I mean, like, he had gotten saved a month prior to me meeting him. And this is who we're hanging out with. And so being a new Christian, I was a bit confused. What do you believe? How do I know which place to go to? How do I know who I should submit to in regards to, I want to learn from this person. And so praying for wisdom, one of the things was just asking is that, that the Lord would guide me and lead me in the right way. And so I, I still pray that prayer to this day. Lord, just give me wisdom because I trust that the Spirit's going to guide me and lead me in the context of community. But when you're a young college guy and you don't really have a great community at that moment, really trusting the Lord. And I trust that the Lord led me and, and guided me. The other thing that I was praying, <clears throat> and this came because... While I was also on the campus of Central Michigan, I also started to get involved in Sovereign Grace. And I would listen to the pastors in Sovereign Grace. That's the ministry we're a part of, if you're new here today. That I would get a hold of these tapes by the the pastors and these leaders who were teaching at pastors' conferences and different churches. People would send me, hey, this is what our pastor preached on today. And so I'd grab the tape and I'd listen to it. And one of the things that stood out to me early on was, was just how important it was to watch your life and to watch your doctrine closely. Just that, that it, it really matters what you believe. Truth really matters. Because if you start to believe things that aren't true, what ends up happening? You start living out lies based upon the things that aren't true. And so it was, it was just taught early. And for some reason, this is part of God's, I think, the way he works in us. And we're going to see it here in this text that the spirit really does lead us. The spirit really does guide us. The spirit really does protect us. And I, I trust that the spirit was doing that as the only thing I, I knew to do is like, Lord, just give me wisdom and protect me. Protect me from lies. Don't, don't let me be involved in something that's just not true. Or don't let me be involved in something that I shouldn't be involved in. Lord, teach me what's right, especially at the beginning. As I'm seeking to grow in my faith. Seeking to build a foundation. And so God really used sovereign grace and their pastors to help me understand just how important the gospel is. How important the gospel is and what it really means to live a gospel-centered lives and, and what it looks like to evaluate everything by his word and the gospel. There was also another book that the Lord led me to and it was, it was through some of the teaching from Sovereign Grace and it was called Systematic Theology. How many of you read that? Okay, we have copies in the bookstore and they're free today. To anybody who does not have a copy of it. Because that book will lead you in the right direction. That book will help you understand what truth 
is and just how important doctrine really is to living out the life God has called you to. So that book's free, one per person. You can't take all of them to people who don't have that book. I think we have like five back there, so you got to be fast. So God just used those things, but he was just guiding me by the power of, I think, his spirit and through community and good teachers, even though they weren't physically present with me, to help me sort of figure out life and what it looked like to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. And the reason for this is, and the reason I'm bringing this up is, is we still sort of live in a world like that. John's writing this letter to people who are uh, being deceived by false teachers. And we live in a world today where we still have false teachers. We still have people who teach false things about the gospel, who seek to lead people away from actually trusting in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's really clear Like in John's day, they were actually saying, when he's writing this letter, they were saying, Jesus really wasn't fully God. In our day, it can be a little bit more subtle. It could just be like, okay, Jesus is really good, but I'm going to have you really focus your time on something else because you've already got this. Let's just move to this, and then we just leave Jesus behind, and we assume the gospel when maybe the gospel really hasn't infiltrated our hearts like the way it has or needs to be. And the gospel really isn't informing everything that we're doing. And so we live in a world where there are false teachers and there are false teachings. And it it just, it shows up in our lives and we need to be careful. And we need to be careful. There's two things that I think I wrote down here. Two things I think we need to be careful of is, is just because something shows up in Christian living doesn't necessarily mean it's Christian. So you might find a podcast under the, I don't even know if they call it Christian living, probably spirituality or something like that, but it might have a tag Christian in it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's Christian. The person may claim to be a Christian, but it doesn't mean they're actually teaching this or they're actually teaching about Christ. And you could also go to Christian counseling. And I think we have to be careful here because that's something I know that many of us are aware of, many of us desire at different times, and so we can find ourselves going to a quote-unquote Christian counselor who's only a Christian by name only. And instead of actually helping you discern what's going on in your life based upon what God has said, they're using other things. And they're not actually counseling with the gospel. And that's really important because the gospel is the power of God to save us. The gospel is the power of God to change us. Our hope is in the gospel. That's why the gospel needs to color everything we look at. So we need to be careful that we're not persuaded by this world to follow after it. We also need to be careful to examine who we are listening to and what they're saying outside of the church and inside of the church so that we don't end up buying into false teachers and their teaching. They exist. And John wants us to be warned about them. And so he moves on in his letter from encouraging us and exhorting us to now warning us to not be deceived into believing a false gospel or false things about Jesus so that we don't give our lives to those things that in the end just don't matter or as he said just prior 
to this section of Scripture, the things of this world that are just passing away. Things that aren't eternal. So let's look at this passage. Let me read it. Verse 18. He says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. (coughs) Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That's what the false teachers were doing in the day. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you. And then he says, abide in him. What I hope we learn today is the gospel is the message that we must never move away from. The good news about Jesus Christ is the news, it's the truth that we must never, ever move away from, but instead grow in a deeper understanding and knowledge of. And we're going to explore this truth by looking at two points this morning. In our first point, we're going to take a look at the Antichrist, or the false teacher. So point one, understanding the Antichrist. Look at me again at verse 18 where he writes, Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. And so the time in which we live in is often referred to as the last days. It's the period of Christ's death and resurrection between that to his ultimate return. So we're in this stage where he's reigning and ruling in heaven and we know one day he's going to get off that throne, he's going to come to earth and he's going to judge the living and the dead and he's going to wrap this thing up. There's a whole lot of more details involved in that, but I'm just talking about this time period where we find ourselves living. It's commonly referred to throughout scripture as the last days. And Jesus had taught us that as we live in these last days, that there would be a time of trouble. There would be a time of apostasy prior to his return. And this would include false Christians, fake Christians, or false teachers who teach false things about Jesus Christ, seeking to lead people away from Jesus Christ. And so in Mark 13, 21 through 23, we read the following. It says, and then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ. Which seems kind of silly, right? 
All I can do is a little quick Google search. There are people out there who do this. There are people out there who would say, yeah, he's coming tomorrow or he's coming on this day. And, and I think in some ways they might be well-meaning, but, but they gain followers. We don't know the time. But he's saying this, there's going to be people who are going to say, look, here he is. Or look, there he is. And he says, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. And so we're living in these last days where there's going to be false prophets and false teachers who are seeking to lead as many people as possible astray and as Christ would say, if possible, even the elect. But John says here, it's the last hour. This communicates for us just this sense of urgency. John's trying to express this sense of urgency because he doesn't know the time. He doesn't know the time, but he knows we're living in the last days. And he knows with every breath and every minute that passes, we're getting closer to that time period. When Christ wraps this up. And so we find ourselves in this time period called the last days. And John would say the last hour. F.F. Bruce writing in his commentary says in the Christian era, it's always five minutes to midnight. I love that because, and I share that with you because I don't know that we always think like that. I think we get sucked into thinking we got time. I can work on that tomorrow. I can think about that the next day. We got, we got a lot of time ahead of us. But what John is saying, don't think about it like that. Fight to think about it, how it's being communicated. The last days, the last hour, or as F.F. Bruce would say, the Christian era, it's always five minutes to midnight. There's this sense of urgency that we're called to live with in the sense of living in the fear of the Lord. We live out our lives fully aware that Christ is getting off that throne and he's coming back. And so everything we do, it matters because he's coming. So John believes he's living in the last hour because what he sees happening around him and he draws, draws the reader's attention to it. Again, verse 18, he says, It's the last hour, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. The Antichrist is the opposite of Christ. And he says, he's coming. That's not plural there. At the end, he's going to be there. As the book of Revelation teaches us, he'll come at the end time. He will be Satan sort of himself seeking to lead as many people as possible away from Jesus. But until that time comes, what John is saying is, is that's going to be out there. But, but even right now, we have the Antichrist, plural, sort of the, the spirit of the one who is against Christ is at work in this world through many false teachers and many false prophets teaching many things that aren't true. It's just happening. It's happening all around us men and women who carry with them the spirit of the antichrist they are opposed to christ and his ways they do the work of satan through lies and false teaching they are false teachers 
And sometimes it's really clear. And sometimes it's just very subtle. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes the following. He says, the Antichrist is one who, in one sense, stands instead of Christ, taking the Christian name and yet opposing the very kingdom of truth, which the name implies. So John's reminding his readers here of what they've already been taught in regards to the Antichrist. A sign that the Antichrist is coming is, is his character is seen in the many Antichrists, or I'd say the many false teachers or false prophets in the world around us. And John said, well, you can identify these false teachers. How do you know where they're at? Well, what he says to them is in verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so what he's drawing attention to here is that these false teachers were once sort of a visible part of their church. They were men who were involved in the church, who were seeking to live the life of faith with them, and I'm saying seeking, who appeared at first to be running the race with them, but, but it didn't last for them. So they started with them, but then they went out from them. And he's saying that, that that's how you know that they're false teachers. Now don't think about it like people who leave our church and go to a different church. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about people who, who maybe appeared to believe the same thing. And then abandon that. People who bought into the apostolic teaching. People who would say, yeah, I agree with this. And then all of a sudden shifted from it and went out from them. And started teaching something that was contrary to what was taught to them by the apostles. Okay, so it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not somebody who left this church to go to First Baptist down the road. They're not, they're not necessarily false teachers. The people who have left First Baptist and now they're here. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about people who've abandoned the faith, who've abandoned the apostolic teaching. But back then, it was very visible. It wasn't like this. It wasn't a, a church on every corner or in every parking lot. A little bit different. He's saying, no, they were a part of you, and then they left you. They're, they're not believing the same thing that, that you believe, that you first believe. They've abandoned that. They've gone away from Christ to something else. And that's a sign for you that they're a false teacher. When they abandon this, when they fail to faithfully teach this, it's a sign that they may not actually be a faithful Believer, They may not actually be a faithful teacher of the gospel because this is the truth. This is the authoritative word of God that he has given to us so that we might know him rightly. So that we might live our lives in this world through this filter so that we might know how to glorify God. And he's saying they've abandoned that. They went out from us. And it reveals that they're not actually of us. And these antichrists, these false teachers, were trying to deceive those who remained. They were bearing the name of Christian, professing to believe in the gospel, and even claiming to teach Christian truth, 
yet all the while perverting the gospel and seeking to undermine what is true. And what they were doing is they were undermining who Jesus was in various ways, big ways, saying he wasn't really fully God incarnate. And if you lose Christ, what do you lose? You lose Christianity. I was trying to think, that was the other thing that was rolling through my head as we're singing and we're taking communion. It's like, can you imagine if we abandoned Jesus? And I was thinking, would we even take communion? We do this in remembrance of him. But if we ever move on from the gospel, would we do that? Would we sing songs like, Jesus, thank you, if we abandoned Jesus, if we moved on from Christ? What would we sing about? There's a lot of churches that do this, who've moved on from Christ. And one of the things, just pay attention, what do you sing about? What are these words revealing about what we believe? By the grace of God, we love Jesus here. By the grace of God, we want to be gospel-centered. By the grace of God, we want to let the gospel color the way we look at everything. There's another great book, highly recommend, The Cross and Christian Ministry. I don't even know if we have it back there. I know we've had it for years now. But anything that's not built upon the gospel, it just doesn't last. And I'm not even talking about here today. I mean like when Christ comes back and he judges all things. Any ministry not built upon the gospel, it burns up. It doesn't make it through. There's no eternal reward for it. And I would say we've wasted a lot of time building any ministry that's not built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's how these false teachers work. They want to lead us astray. They want to get us to a place where we're not completely trusting in Jesus for our salvation. And if you think about it like this, if if you were Satan, how would you want to destroy a church? You might think, well, let's just just persecute the church and let's, let's kill off as many Christians as possible. Well, just do a little homework on that. Anytime persecution sort of breaks out, what do you think happens to the church? It might shrink in the number of people, but typically a revival breaks out. Just Google it, study it, see it in Scripture. Anytime persecution happens to a church, revival breaks out. Because think about it. If somebody's willing to die for their faith, what do most people do? They kind of look at it, and it's like, why in the world would somebody not renounce their faith, but instead allow for them to die? Let's find out who this is. Let's find out who this Jesus is. And so typically a revival breaks out in some way. No, I think if you were Satan, and you wanted to sort of destroy the church, you'd, you'd kind of work false teachers in. You'd try to counterfeit the truth. You'd want to take a little bit of what seems true and sort of skew it a bit so that you're not fully committed to the actual truth. And so you throw in little lies here and there to just sort of move people away from actually trusting in Jesus alone. Think about it like this. How many thousand dollar counterfeit bills have you ever seen? If, if I was to come up to you and I was to give you a thousand dollars and say, yes, yeah, this is a thousand dollar bill american thousand dollar bill what would you do you look me in the eyes and you'd say what you think i'm crazy because it doesn't exist right 
but hundreds and twenties work really well. And people use them a lot. They do. Just ask anybody who works in retail, anybody who works at a grocery store where the money is exchanging hands all the time. People come in, there's a reason they pull out that marker and they kind of swipe the $100 bill. I always think like, what in the world are they doing? Do people actually do that? And I say, yeah, people actually do that. And they try to do it a lot. Because you can get away with it. I'm not telling you to do this. This is not something. Don't go out there and, and do this. I'm just saying, that's how you counterfeit. You trick people into believing that this looks real, but it's not real. And you can lead them astray. And so, in a sense, that's what John's trying to help us understand. is Don't be deceived. We have an, an enemy, the Antichrist. He's coming at the very end. And, and he's got these sort of army of people who are fake Christians. Seeking to lead people astray by teaching false things about Jesus. Or withholding certain truths about Jesus so that you don't ever believe in Jesus. So that you get more excited about other things than you do about Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the following. He says, the church is always confronted by this subtle power. A seducing power. A power that represents itself in the name of Christ and yet is denying Christ. For that, you observe, is the very essence of false teaching. And so this shows up in a lot of ways. I think in practical ways. I'm trying to figure out like how to best serve you. Again, I, I come back to just asking the question, what are you most passionate about? I just find that to be a very good question in helping to have some self-awareness and understanding of what's really going on in our hearts. What are you most passionate about? And I would say ask that question a lot. And so last week we talked about it in regards to the world where he says, do not love the world. And the question was, is there anything in this world that you are passionate about, that you think too much about, that consumes your thoughts more than it does the gospel? Well, that can happen in the church as well. You can become really passionate and really excited about things in the church that are not actually the gospel. You can become really excited about children's ministry. And you can give your life to children's ministry. You can give your life to homeschool. You can give your life to thinking about worship and song selections or a church building or community group and certain aspects of being a community group leader. And it can be all sorts of different things where you're just thinking about these things, but you've, in some ways, you've been seduced from actually thinking about what's really important, what's most important. I'm not saying those other things aren't important, but again, you have to evaluate that. You have to think about that. Are you more aware of, more passionate about something that's not the gospel than you are the actual gospel? Have you moved away from really knowing, applying, and proclaiming Jesus Christ? Have you moved away from this? Do you give any time to this? Do you have a life in this? These are just questions to think about. You may. I'm just saying it's a fight. And and John wants us to be aware we should be fighting this because we live in the last hour. There are antichrists, there are false teachers 
all around us that, that are seeking to get us out of this. Are seeking to cause problems and troubles in this. By seducing us away from the thing that unites us. And it's so easy to be pulled away from it. It's so easy to give ourselves to just listening to podcast after podcast after podcast after podcast and and just fail to actually know this. So easy to be listening to somebody else's thoughts about certain things and, and fail to allow the Spirit to build convictions on the truth that we find in here because this takes work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work to read it and to memorize it. And I don't know how your brain works, but there are so many things in this world that I just have to look at one time. And I could tell you the stat line. I could tell you the record. You could just bring a picture up from when I was a kid and some sporting event. I could tell you where I was. I could tell you what they did. I could tell you why they did it because I probably read a thousand articles on it. And it just sticks. This takes work. But this right here guards us and it protects us from false teachers. So what are you most passionate about? Where, where's your heart at today? This moves us to point number two, understanding our hope to persevere because we have hope. So the question is, why haven't the people he's writing this letter to been deceived? Why are they still in and not out? If there really were false teachers trying to seduce them away, why, why is there still a church standing? A church still gathering together? People who still genuinely love the gospel in such a way that John feels compelled to write them this letter. Well, he says this, verse 20, but you've been anointed. You've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. This is just, it's encouraging. It goes back to, if you're a believer, if you've been genuinely saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will protect you. And he will lead you. And he says this, true Christians, they just, you know the truth. You might not know all the truth, but you know the truth because it brought you into the faith, the good news about Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has opened up your eyes and ears to see and hear the good news concerning Jesus and testifying to the truthfulness of the gospel. And what John is saying is, you have this. The reason you haven't left is because you've been genuinely saved because you really are a part of this because God has saved you and he's filled you with his spirit. Isn't that good news? That's why we pray for wisdom. That's why we pray for protection. We pray and we trust that the spirit is at work in us and it's going to guide us and we live that out in the context of community with other like-minded believers. Because we can get a little bit off sometimes, can't we? We can say, oh, the spirit's leading me in this direction. The Spirit told me to do that, and it might be like some sinful thing, but you have good friends would say, I don't think the Spirit's telling you that. And you'd say, well, why? Because the Bible actually says you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And all sorts of other things. See, the benefits of knowing are the truth. Verse 23 is, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 
John's been writing this letter to his readers to give us assurance that we do indeed have fellowship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he says, If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and the Father. What good news. What protects us from false teaching? The gospel. The very good news that has saved us, has filled us, and Christ abides in us, and we abide in him, and when we abide in him, and he abides in us, we're brought into this right relationship with God, and he protects his people. Verse 25, and he says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Again, what good news. We have this hope of a better future spent with God forever in heaven where we get to see Christ. And it's not just something we look out to, it's something we possess today. This right relationship with God where we know the Father through the Son. And if all these things are true, then guess what? He's guiding us. He's protecting us. He's leading us. That's why they haven't left. That's why they haven't been led astray by these false teachers. It doesn't mean they can't be influenced by them, but they're still standing because of the good news. David Allen writes this. I don't have the quote. Sorry, Nate. I put it in there later. It's in pen. I promise you. I put it in this morning. He says, Christians are people who have eternal life now in the sense that God's life is in them, but who will have eternal life in heaven in the sense that this life never ends. Live in the good of that news. Verse 26 and 27, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But... The anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, he says, abide in him. Now listen, this this doesn't mean you, you don't have to ever show up on a Sunday and ever be taught by a pastor or ever sit down with a friend and be discipled by anyone. He's saying the Spirit's at work in you. It's going to guide you. It's going to teach you. And we have other scriptures that talk about being discipled and discipling others and the importance of community. But we ultimately trust in God who saved us and who pours out his Spirit upon us, who guides us and leads us. But he closes out this warning with this, this command, abide in him, abide in Christ. You want to not get picked off by false teachers? You not want to wander off into lies and sort of wake up 10 years from now and say, what in the world happened? How did I get here? John would say this, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Don't leave him behind. Don't move on to something else, something you think is better, something somebody else is saying. You don't need Christ anymore, but you can run hard after this. No, abide in him. Fight. 
fight to just stay in the gospel. And that fight can look like a lot of things. I'm going to share just a couple in closing. I think it looks like developing a life in the word where we find Christ. See him throughout every page of scripture. This book is about Jesus. It's about God's purpose and plan for all of our lives. And it's going to point to Christ. It's going to describe Christ. And it's going to refer back to Christ. It's going to teach us about Jesus. So when you read this, look for Christ. Don't neglect this. Neglecting this is dangerous. We abide in him by drawing near to him. I'd also say pray. I'd probably put that at the top of the list. Pray. Trust that God has filled you with the spirit. Ask him to fill you with his spirit every day to give you wisdom and to be able to discern false truths or whatever they are, false teachers, and to protect you from those lies and to grow you in your love for Jesus. And then other things I would say is memorize the gospel. Study the gospel. That bookstore back there has some of the best books on the gospel. Read those books. Grow deeper in your understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you so that when somebody hands you a fake $100 bill, you could say, I don't think that's right. A lot of times for me how this shows up, I'm not the smartest man at all in the room, but a lot of times how it works is you just kind of feel it. You know what I'm talking about? Like somebody says something. Sometimes it happens at community groups. Sometimes it's a podcast somebody recommends. Sometimes it's out there where it's just somebody says something and it's just like, that didn't seem right. It's just kind of a feeling that I get. And a wise man once told me, he just said, you've got to trust that sometimes. You've got to actually trust that a lot of times. It's the Spirit of God at work in you. And when you feel that check, just don't ignore it. Now go study it. Find out why it, it's wrong. And here's where we turn. I also recommend systematic theology. So study the gospel, memorize the gospel. And for us as a church, what I say is, let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about the gospel. We sing the gospel. Let's talk about it. Let's get in the habit of creating a culture where we just talk about Jesus. Where we try to recite how the gospel affected our life today. So I shared, I think, a couple weeks ago. I tried to start this thing around our dinner table. Like, how, how did the gospel affect your life today? And that's not going very well for us because we rarely get around the table together. But, but let's try to do things like that. How did the gospel influence your life today? How did you look out at the world through the lens of the gospel? What did you see? It may sound like an awkward question. I'd say it's an awkward question because we just don't do it like that. But let's abide in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us. You would help us to abide in Christ, to live out our faith, seeking to honor Jesus in all that we say and do. Help us to grow deeper in our understanding of this good news. And Lord, protect us. Protect us from false teaching, from lies. Lord, that we might honor you. Lord, we love you. And we're so grateful, so grateful that you have so loved us that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to save us. And Lord, may we live in the good of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for being-